I would not have gone to prison for John Dean. I would uh, go to prison for my president anytime. I was being led to believe that I was doing this for the president. The president didn't even know about it. Watergate figure G. Gordon Liddy. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. It was a third-rate burglary in the Washington, D.C. Watergate Hotel and Office Complex in the summer of 1972 that set in motion a scandal that ultimately forced the resignation of President Richard M. Nixon. At the very center of that burglary and the ensuing scandal was G. Gordon Liddy, a former FBI agent who at that point had become the chief of the White House Plumbers Unit. After serving prison time for his role in the Watergate scandal, G. Gordon Liddy wrote a book called Will, And that book was a bestseller, and in fact, it stayed a bestseller for years to come. In 1991, Liddy updated his book with a new afterword based on things he had learned from another book by two journalists, Len Kolodny and Robert Getlin, called Silent Coup about the Watergate scandal. As you're about to hear, Liddy discovered with that book that the Watergate scandal that he was the very center of may not have been exactly what he thought it was. So here now, from 1991, G. Gordon Liddy. Even I was under the misimpression that I was the, quote, mastermind of Watergate, as I was dubbed at the time, end quote. And in fact, uh, what we now know is that uh, not only did Richard Nixon not know anything about it, John Mitchell was innocent of it, it was John Dean in business for himself who recruited me and deceived me into believing that this was at the behest and with the uh, sanction of the president and and of um, John Mitchell and indeed even of John Ehrlichman, when in fact that was not true. The second explosive thing is what we were really doing in there. I was... uh, uh, made a cutout, so to speak. I was given false instructions to pass along to uh, John Dean. The correct instructions were passed directly by Dean uh, to E. Howard Hunt. And rather than the purpose of the uh, exercise being to go in and wiretap the offices of Larry O'Brien, they never went near the offices of Larry O'Brien. They went into a three-office sub-complex that was directly observable from the Howard Johnsons across the street, which could not even see the Larry O'Brien office. They wiretapped the telephone in there. The reason for that is that uh, while all of this was going on, there was a call girl ring being operated out of the Columbia Plaza apartments nearby, And the DNC personnel, wanting to be able to service visiting firemen, tapped into that. And uh, there was a brochure prepared, if you will. It was an envelope that had uh, a dozen photographs of girls in see-through 90s and what have you. What you see is what you get. And they wiretapped the phone there where people were making these appointments. The other uh, key element is that at about this time, uh, the, the... Madam, whose name was uh, Heidi Rykan, going under the name of Kathy Dieter, had a roommate. The roommate was one uh, Maureen Kane Owen Biner, subsequently to be known as Maureen Kane Owen Biner Dean. And uh, at that time, the counsel to the, uh, the madam, who's his lawyer, uh, was arrested and charged uh, uh, with a um, facilitating sex offense or something like that. He, he was set up. It was a frame. In any event, they recovered from him one of his notebooks in which uh, a lot of people, including call girls who were, were clients, uh, in a legal sense were clients, were listed by name and by code name. 
And uh, John Dean called the prosecutors, had them bring up the book, and sure enough, there in the book is uh, Maureen Biner, codename Clout. She was given that codename by the other girls because of her association with Dean. And to make a long story short, the second entry, uh, the, the uh, key Cuban operative, uh, Eugenio Rolando Martinez, was given by Hunt, who had been given it by Dean, one, a map leading to the desk where the uh, photographs of the girls were kept. He was given a key. He was told to retrieve it. And uh, the reason is because two of those photographs were of Maureen Kane Owen Biner, now Dean. How are you so certain that the, the, the Kolodny-Getlin version is what really happened? Because, uh, now there's a lot of things in that book uh, that really don't concern me. Businesses about deep throat and uh, the, the spy ring in the, uh, in the White House being run out of the uh, Joint Chief's office and so on. But all of the things that they go into with respect to Watergate, every single fact is dead on as I lived it, remembered it, saw it, smelt it, felt it, did it, etc. And the second thing is that this is not uh, Bob Woodward or Kitty Kelly journalism. You know, everybody dumps on poor Kitty Kelly for that kind of journalism. It was invented, and his chief practicer is, uh, practitioner is Bob Woodward. You know, trust me, no sources whatsoever. I'm Bob Woodward. I went to Yale, and I work for Catherine Graham. So what do, you, what do you mean you're challenging what I say? These people have 160 on-the-record interviews. It is loaded with evidence and facts. And if you read it, it's just incontrovertible. And notice, since this book came, came out, uh, the only way they're trying to kill it is by silence. No one has really attacked the book because you can't. You can't successfully do it. It's all there. The, the perjury of John Dean, he's trapped into it in ways that can't be refuted. For example, John Dean did not know that there was a taping system in the Oval Office. And so when he was talking to the President of the United States, he didn't realize, you know, and he was lying then, he didn't realize uh, that he was being taped. And so afterwards, when he's testifying before the, the committees, he doesn't realize that he's being given the lie by his own voice on the White House tapes. The other thing is that John Dean apparently did not pay attention when he was in school and they were teaching simple arithmetic uh, because some of his lies are based on uh, assertions that are impossible if one takes into account time zone changes and date changes, things of that sort. I mean, they just really nail this guy to the cross. If you had known then what you know now, would you have gone to prison? I would not have gone to prison for John Dean. I would uh, go to prison for my president any time. Uh, I was being led to believe that I was doing this for the president. The president didn't even know about it. What is really interesting is that if you will recall, this happened on the 17th of, uh, of um, June, on Monday the 19th, John Dean called me in, interrogated me about it, and I believed that he was going to take my information and give it to the President of the United States so that the President could do with it whatever he wants. He can either say, okay, these are the guys who did it, and they're gone, and, and, or he can cover it up, whatever he wanted to do. And he didn't do that. He did, John Dean did not tell the President what I told him for nine months. Here's poor Richard Nixon up there and the rest of them trying to cover up something. They don't even know what they're covering up. And John Dean's sitting there all this time not telling them that it's his operation. Other than the afterwards. Sorry about having the shy and retiring personality <laughs> being so ambiguous on your program. <laughs> Wish I could get a straight answer out of you. <laughs> Other than the afterward, is there, is there anything different about this edition? No, what, what I've done, the... Uh, the publishers of Will told me that it's what they call, in, in publishing jargon, a back-order uh, classic. There's been a constant demand for it for the past 11 years because apparently um, a lot of people uh, have used it to change their lives. Even the late John Lennon 
according to his definitive biographer, uh, Goldman, uh, turned to this book in time of need. And so everybody wants it for, the, for, for that purpose. But in view of, uh, and so I've left it intact, but in view of all this new information and people wanting to know, uh, you know what I know about it, what I think about it, I have added a whole afterward, if you will, Watergate Revisited with all this you know, new information, and I put it in there, and I've also um, brought a lot of people, uh, call not me, but my wife, and want to know, you know how, the, how my children are doing, because uh, people of a certain age uh, uh, find it remarkable that uh, with her husband in prison, she was able to raise five drug-free children, you know, coming out of the 60s, and so I just bring them up to date on, on uh, their activities and what have you. Is your book more properly placed in the inspiration section of the bookstore? Well, uh, a, a lot of bookstores put it there. It's uh, I've, technically, I think it should be in, in uh, under biography or autobiography, but a lot of a lot of them put it under inspirational. Yeah, you've worked long and hard to develop your will, haven't you? Yeah, and uh, the the entire journey uh, is recounted in in that book, and. Uh, that's the story that so many people are interested in, regardless of the information about Watergate. That's quite an irony in, the, in that you, in your early years, Adolf Hitler helped you form that will. Well, uh, in, in an oblique way. In an oblique way. Uh, the sense was, that, just so everybody will understand, that I'm 60 years old, and uh, prior to World War II, when I was a child, we had a German maid, a maid who was a German national, and she was uh, fond of Adolf Hitler. She was an uneducated uh, girl, and my father finally had to discharge her because uh, our mailbox was being stuffed with Nazi propaganda, which just drove my father crazy. And subsequent to that, he hired another young German girl, same age, uh, but she happened to, to be a German Jew, and she had lost her family had lost everything, and she was able to uh, uh, give me a much, uh, I think, uh, better perspective on Adolf Hitler. Still, the the reader of your book is not is not should not be led to believe that in order to to follow the advice that you've given or, or the, to to emulate you that we have to necessarily go out and kill rats that we have to necessarily uh, no what I'm uh, what, what I'm what I would uh, suggest to people is that that you take a lesson from uh, uh, the teaching of, of of being a pilot I'm a licensed pilot and one of the things they teach you is that if you have a minor problem with the attitude of the aircraft, you put in a minor correction on the controls. If you've got a major problem, you put in a major uh, correction. I had major problems, so I put in major corrections. And I certainly don't suggest to anybody who's only got a minor problem, they put in a major correction, because if you do that in an airplane, you crash. And I, I would suggest to you, you'd probably crash in your own life, too. Still, it's a colorful account you give us. Well, it's a true account. And, uh, you know, they say truth is stranger than fiction and uh, more interesting, and I guess that's true. Is there any part of your life that you would change now if you look back on it? N- not in, in terms of, uh, of course, if I had the, the information hmm. then that I have now, uh, there's, there's things that I would do differently or would not do. But uh, in the same circumstances, uh, and I, I'd like to make that clear, that if the same circumstances obtained today as obtained in the 1960s, I would do it all again in a hot minute. Uh, also, uh, it, uh, it would have to be obtaining, the, the circumstances would have to be true. 
the two circumstances. One was a general disintegration of the social order. Uh, young people today probably uh, find it astonishing and difficult to even imagine that whole acres of the major cities of this country were up in flames. People were calling uh, the fire department to report fires and then snipers were shooting and killing the firemen who replied. Then the police had come and they'd shoot at the police. Uh, you had an, the American actress Jane Fonda going over and sitting on uh, an enemy in the aircraft gun and, and cheering as they would shoot at uh, American aircraft. Can you imagine if, say, uh, Madonna had gone over during the recent Gulf War and sat on a Scud missile battery and cheered uh, as the Iraqis were shooting at the Americans or the Israelis? That's the kind of thing that was going on, and that's what I was combating then. And I do, uh, would uh, be just as strong to combat that now as I was then. Why is it that I hear so many people say that they're prepared before they meet you not to like you? Or the, the, even one of the reviewers in the book says, "I'm fully prepared to hate the, your book." Yeah, and well, they come away. They love because, you. They love the book. Yeah. The 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 reason is that, uh, as it says in the back of the book, uh, you know, with, with, with typical uh, publishers' hyperbole, you know, I'm supposed to be an American legend. And what there's a problem with being a legend, and that is that legends grow, take on lives of their own. <laughs> and uh, I, I hear these astonishing stories about me um, that, that are are very colorful. And uh, would lead some people not to like me and other people to think I was wonderful, but they're absolutely not true. Uh, that's the problem with being a legend. Uh, nobody's neutral about a legend, and it goes with the territory, and uh, so it doesn't bother me. Well, it is legendary that you're holding your hand over the flame. Well, that's true. That's, tr- that's now, true. One thing I did not find in your book that I had read in someone else's, the reason that you the, that someone asked you how you could do that, did, did you say the trick is not minding? No, that's another uh, thing. It, the, the the legend grew that I gave that response. You know where that comes from? That comes from the original uncut version of Lawrence of Arabia. If you ever see that, you'll see... Uh, who's that marvelous actor who plays Lawrence of Arabia? Uh, O'Toole. Uh, you'll see that he he's... Uh, the, in one scene there, he's holding a wooden match, and he takes his hand and he squeezes the flame out, and someone uh, says, you know, what's the trick? And he says, the trick is in not minding it. That's in the movie. I never said that, but somehow or other, that got transposed from the movie Lawrence of Arabia into my life. But this happens to me all the time. I'm used to it now. G. Gordon Liddy died last week. He was 90. And you can find easy Amazon links to G. Gordon Liddy's books at our website, heardeverything.com. Did you know that you can find all of our past episodes of Now I've Heard Everything at our website, heardeverything.com? We're into season three now, so you can find seasons one, two, and three, all of them, at heardeverything.com. Feel free to search through. I'm sure you'll find interviews that you like. And, of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and you can find us on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, the scientist whose 1953 discovery of the double helix unlocked the secrets of DNA, my 2002 interview with James Watson. I didn't want to just be known for the double helix. You know, so before I made the discovery, no one thought I was going anywhere. And afterwards, I certainly went nowhere. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Bill Thompson.